If you would, uh, pray with me. Our Father in Heaven, would you, by your Spirit, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears that we might hear you. Lord, we need you tonight. Um, Without you, uh, we can do nothing, Jesus has said. And that means even hear what you have to speak to us. So I pray tonight, Lord, that Jesus would be made beautiful, that we would see Him clearly, that we would see His great love for us clearly, and that our hearts would be encouraged to trust You and to see You and to believe in You more. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you're just joining us, welcome. We have been looking all semester long at a series on relationships, and tonight we're going to look at what is the maybe the pinnacle uh, of all relationships that two people can have together, and that is the topic of marriage. And uh, all semester long, we've been looking at relationships, and so we come tonight um, really kind of where we've been working up to in some ways. We've been saying all along, man and women were, man and woman were made for re- relationships. They were made for each other. And that uh, even if you're not uh, considering marriage one day, if you don't want to be married, that uh, even if you are, have the gift of singleness, that you're still made for other people, and other people are still made for you in relationship. But tonight, we're going to uh, really focus in on the topic of marriage. I want to remind you that, uh, as we've been doing the past couple weeks, there'll be a Q&A afterwards. So stick around. If you have questions, I'll try to field questions for uh, 15, 20 minutes or something like that. would love to help you however we could. You can do that anonymously as well by texting me later on, too. I want to also kind of give some, uh, give some props where props are due. A couple of folks have been helping me a lot with this sermon. About everything that I know on this topic um, comes from somebody else. Two people that have profoundly influenced me uh, that I need to give credit to. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller and a guy named Kevin Twitt, who's a RUF campus minister at Belmont University in Nashville. Uh, both those men have, uh, have profoundly affected my thoughts and uh, helped me understand Jesus' grace in the picture of marriage more than, more than any other people. Um, I want to read you this. Last fall, the Atlantic Monthly ran an article about a man who has the nickname of Dave Cat. That's sort of an online name that he has. He and his wife, Sidore, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, are uh, pictured in this article. And the article talks about their seemingly normal marriage together. They have matching wedding bands. They watch television together. In fact, they're making plans to celebrate their 15th year anniversary. Uh, But what is unique about Sidore, again, I hope I'm getting that name right, is that she is a doll. She's not a real person. So yes, Dave Cat is married to a synthetic person. And when asked about his relationship with her, he says this. A friend of mine just got divorced after 17 years of marriage. That's an enormous investment of time, money, and emotion, and I'm not interested in having someone in my life who may bail on me at any time or who transforms into someone unpleasant. Ultimately, getting romantically involved with an organic woman doesn't seem worth it to me. Might sound silly, but I actually think that he's expressing a sentiment that many of us hold near and dear in our hearts. And that is this, that real marriage is hard. And we doubt if we're up for the task of it. You see, several of you, if you're like me, have come from homes where marriage is unraveled in front of your face. 
And so the idea of even considering marriage is a scary, frightful thing. You see, your experience is telling you that it is just too much. For many of you, you've thought about marriage someday in the future and it's utterly paralyzing for you. And I might be the first one in your life to say, yeah, rightly so, if that's been your experience. But I want to say all of that uh, and then be able to use it as a contrast to what Paul in this letter to the Ephesians is telling us here. He is going to say tonight that marriage, y'all, is intrinsically good, no matter how hard and difficult it may be. Moreover, the hardness in no way cancels out the goodness of it. Marriage is an incredibly huge topic, and we're going to try to cram it in tonight. I am going to go a little bit longer tonight, so if you need to go, you're not going to hurt my feelings whatsoever, but um, it's just such a big topic that we need to see. Paul is going to lay out for us tonight. He's going to show us what marriage is, what it was made for, and the power that is bound up in it. And he does so, y'all, that we might rightly know what God thinks about marriage, because that is what's most important. You see, what God says about something always trumps our experience, no matter how traumatic, hard, good, or beautiful they might be. Why would I talk about marriage to a group of college students who are not married? Well, most of you will get married one day. And it's, it's perfectly fit for us to begin talking about this now, so that you can be considering these things, even as you look in I marriage however many years that might be into the future. So tonight then, we're going to look at the definition, the point, and the power. That is the definition, the point, and the power of marriage. And let's take a look here as we begin this idea of the definition of marriage. So uh, the Bible says something incredibly unique about what marriage is. You see, some folks would say, Uh, Marriage is just a construct that came about, it's a social construct that came about sometime in the Bronze Age, and uh, we've just sort of adapted to that. Well, uh, that's not uh, what the Scriptures say about it. It says very clearly that Jesus is saying that marriage is something that has existed from the very beginning of time, the very beginning of creation itself. But I do think it's appropriate for our purposes tonight for us to ask, what exactly makes marriage marriage? You might put it like this, what is the essence of marriage? Now, when you think about the essence of something, that can be a little bit hard to define, so I might try to get at it like this. How do you define the essence of what it means to be a TCU football player? Is it, is it, uh, just because you go to TCU and you play football? Are you a TCU football player? Well, of course not. That doesn't make you a, a member of the team. Well, is it because you wear, I know it is, you put a jersey on, therefore you are a football player at, at, at uh, TCU. The answer is no, of course not. There's hundreds of thousands of people who have jerseys that have never even been on this campus. We would never call them TCU football players. You see, the fact is, the only way that you are on the team is if Gary Patterson, wherever his office is, invites you on it and says, you're on the team. You see, that's what lies at the essence of what it means to be a TCU football player. Now, why would I explain this to you? I just want you to see that without that invitation and without that declaration, TCU football teamness does not exist for you. 
So that's what the essence is. Now, it's very interesting when we think about this with marriage. Some folks will say, well, the essence of marriage, the way to define it is, it's about loyalty. Tim Keller points this out. He says that, that really what's at the heart of marriage is two people being loyal to one another. It's a, it's a bond, so to speak. Well, actually, that's not true because you see a dog is incredibly loyal to you and you're not married to it. Some will say it's about raising children together. That's what it is. Well, no, that's not the case either. Because see, just because you have children together with somebody doesn't make make you married to one another. And some people will say, here's what it is. Here's what it is. It is, is that if you have had sex with somebody, you're married to them. There's actually Christian teaching out there that would say that's the case. That you've had sex with somebody, you're spiritually married to them. That's actually not true. We could look at that out of the book of Leviticus and, and understand that why that wouldn't be the case. So what is this getting at? What are we getting at there? Well, Paul is basically saying this, y'all, that what lies at the essence of marriage is a promise. It is a promise. It's actually not that profound. But what lies at the heart of marriage is a vow. We might say it another way, that it is a covenant. And we see this in verse 25 when Paul says this, that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Jesus, by giving Himself up for His people, the church, made a covenant to death to her, to the church. I'm using that church language and the feminine uh, pronoun there. But this is really, really interesting. We have to spend some time here. And yes, I know that I'm taking a lot of time on this first point. But hang with me. Because if we're going to understand what marriage is about, we must understand what a covenant is about. Covenant. It's a crazy word. Most of you have never even heard it before. Or if you had, you don't know what it means. So let's talk about it for a moment. I want to use an illustration, uh, the language of a contract in distinction from a covenant here. Okay. So first of all, let's look at what a contract is. A contract, I have a contract with Charter Communications They run internet into my house, and we have a deal. Here's how the deal goes. I pay them money each month, and they give me Google every month. That's how it works. And we have terms together that if at any point anybody wants to change the terms without the other person liking it, the, the, the contract is null and void. It's void. And if at any point... I don't uh, like the terms of that contract. I can pull out. I might have a fee. Or they can cut service if they want. And they must credit me money if that's what they've agreed to. But here is the point. A contract, whether that's with charter communications, whether that's with a job somewhere, whether that is a cell phone company. When we think about a contract, a contract primarily is a commitment to terms. It is people committed to the sake of terms and that's it. A covenant, y'all, is vastly different, though incredibly similar. And here is how it's different. A covenant is something that is much richer, broader, and deeper because a covenant is a commitment to a person. It is a promise to a person. You see, I do not have a covenant. I do not have a relationship with the president of Charter Communications. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. And so, the point is, a covenant implies that there is a deep commitment to the terms of the contract, the terms of the covenant rather, 
because of the value of that relationship. Hang with me on this. All I'm trying to say is this. Contract, think rules. Think terms. Covenant, think intimacy. Think relationship. Think people. That's what I want you to think of tonight. And it's hugely important, and here's why. In Genesis chapter 15, we see an amazing picture of a covenant being brought about. Here's what happens. God comes to the patriarch Abraham. And He says to Abraham, more or less, though not directly, He says, I'm your God and you are my people. Your line are going to be my people forever and forever. And I'm always going to be your God. And from that moment, God sets up and establishes a covenant with Abraham. And here's what He does with Abraham. Are you ready? This is the way, this is an old timey handshake. Okay, listen. Abraham gets put to sleep by God. And then there's this vision, so to speak, where Abraham is, is, I mean, where God has taken these animals. These animals are literally hacked in half. A big old cow hacked in half. The front part's put over here. The back part's put over here. And maybe there were a series of animals that were just cut in half. Boom here, boom here. And here's what happened. The terms were laid out. This is what we're going to do. This is the way the relationship's going to go. And then boom, both parties walked through those animals and that was sealing the deal. The point of having the animals cut in half was this. If I break the terms of the contract, if I break the terms of the covenant, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. And what's really interesting in that covenant being made, the, the parties go through, through the animals to say, this is solid. And here's why. Because in that moment, God is making an incredible, incredible statement. He is saying that I will always be with you forever. So, what does any of this have to do with marriage? Well, it's very important. Because what lies at the heart of marriage is that. It is far deeper It is far richer than any sort of contract. It is a promise. Let me put this very clearly. At the heart of marriage is a promise to another person. It is a permanent, exclusive, public, legal promise to another person. Permanent, exclusive, public, legal promise to another person. And if you have that, you've got marriage. Now, Why would I say all this and why does this matter? Because here's what I want you to see. That marriage is a promise, primarily. And it is a promise that you make to yourself and to another person to be there for the other person forever. Think about it like this. When you get married, it's like pulling out your iPhone, scrolling up your calendar, and saying, boom, 2027, March 27th, I'm going to be with you. It's on my calendar. Scroll up. 2054, May the 3rd. Boom. Oh, you're on my... Yep, you're on my calendar. That's That's what this is saying. That that's what lies behind the very heart of marriage. It is a promise to be committed to another person. How might we drive this home for a few minutes? Well, let's look at this. I want you to see, therefore that what lies at the heart of marriage is not primarily a set of feelings. And while those feelings are there 
To be sure, the feelings, though, will certainly come and go. And if a marriage is based primarily on how you feel about somebody, what happens when those feelings go? The marriage is over. It's over. So therefore, it's not, that's why the Bible is so smart for us, y'all. It says, that's not the way it is. You see, a promise, a promise of commitment, a promise of commitment can stand apart from how the heart feels. My wife, Laura, and I, we love each other. We are deeply committed to each other by God's grace. But there are moments where we have fallen more or less in and out of like with each other. In the, in the seven or eight years that we've been married now, that, my feelings for her, my commitment to her has not changed. But there are certainly moments where we sort of vacillate between feelings of deep connectedness and intimacy to, to a more or less greater degree. I'm sure if you ask Wade the same question, he would say, absolutely, it's very much... But, you, but the idea is, is that the commitment is what upholds even those fluctuating feelings. And that's a really rich and robust thing. I think secondly this, what this means is, listen very carefully, are you ready? What this means is, is that you are never ready for marriage. You are never ready for marriage. Many people will think this, I just need to get really, really ready for marriage, make sure that I'm 100% certain, and then I'll know that I'm ready to be married. And I want you to see this, ready? That getting ready for marriage has very little to do with arriving at a place for where you feel ready enough for it. Are you ready for this? You'll never feel ready for being married. You just won't. You can't do it alone. You don't have what it takes by yourself to actually really do marriage. You need Jesus. You must rely on Him to be able to do it well. So as you think about who you might marry one day, you need to begin to have the categories of, okay, Ryan, don't think that this is about me getting to a place where I feel 100% ready. I mean, I'm not just picking a random number. You know, 53% is probably as good as you're getting. Go for it. The point is, you never feel ready for it. Listen, I just want to see this. God desires for you to trust Him in the midst of your inadequacy as you think about marriage. And that is a profoundly powerful and faithful thing. Listen, now that we know what marriage is, let's, let's, uh, we're at the place to kind of take a look and move forward and say, what exactly is the picture of marriage or the point of marriage? What is it that marriage points to or is a picture of? Well, did you notice that when we read the passage, Paul began by talking about the roles that men and women have in marriage. But then it seems, quite out of nowhere, he says this in verse 32. I am saying it refers to Christ in the church, it being marriage. In a sense, he's talking about marriage, and then he says, but I'm not talking about marriage. Did you all catch that? What could be going on here? This is what he's doing. Paul is telling us, something absolutely stunning and incredible about marriage itself. He is telling us that marriage is a picture of something far greater than what exists between a man and a woman on the surface. He is saying that embedded in marriage between a man and a woman, there is a profound mystery in verse 32. On the surface, it looks like man and woman married forever. But there is always something more attached to it. 
Think about it like this. Some of y'all in a few short months will be walking across the stage. I don't know where you're going to be graduating from at this point. But uh, you will receive uh, eventually an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that says Bachelor of Blank. And on the top, it's going to say Texas Christian University. And if you're really smart and boring in college, it's going to say something like magna cum laude or something like that, while the rest of us are having fun. (laughs) Now, what's interesting about that piece of paper is that it's probably worth about 37 cents. Moreover, if you were to lose it, you could call the registrar's office and you could get another one made. And it it wouldn't take away, though, what you have learned. You see... Behind that piece of paper is a whole entire body of knowledge that you have gained. Behind it stands four years of hard work. Behind it stands four years of friendships, perhaps of loss, of gain. Perhaps you really have maybe even met your spouse. Perhaps you have a profound best friend now. And that piece of paper symbolizes all that your life has gone through in these last four years together. Well, in the same way, The Bible is saying that behind marriage is something far greater than marriage itself. And that is this, y'all. Behind it stands Jesus' crazy love for the church. I'll use the language that we've already said tonight. That behind marriage stands Jesus' covenant love for you and for me and for all of His people. Marriage is a picture of God's love for His people in Jesus. If I were to change the metaphor, I would say that marriage is a sign that points to something else. If you and I were on Highway 35 driving north, uh, if we saw a sign that said, Fort Worth or TCU, 27 miles. Everything's ending in sevens tonight for some reason. Have you all noticed that? 37s, 27s. I said, anyways, crazy, something's up. Bottom line is... If you were driving up and you saw a sign that was 16 miles out that said Fort Worth, and you pulled off the side of the road and you're like, woohoo, we're here, rock on, Fort Worth, TCU. Uh, Your buddies in the car would be like, you're an idiot. This is a sign. This is merely a sign. It's just pointing to something greater. That's what marriage is. Marriage, therefore, puts on display the amazing love that God has for His people. And why would this be so important for us? Well, over and over again in the Bible, the Bible speaks about marriage as a metaphor for God's intense love for His people. You see, all through, all through the Scripture, from page 1 to the last page, incredibly intimate personal language is used. And it's that of marriage that talks about God's relationship with His people. But that's not just the point. The point is this, that it's always a broken marriage. It's always a busted marriage that's spoken of. Because you see, all throughout the Scriptures, God is seen as the faithful husband who goes to great lengths to woo back to himself. Are you ready for this? His wayward wife. In fact, the Scriptures speak of this very, very clearly when it says that we as, as, as His people are likened to a prostitute because we give ourselves over 
to a billion other lovers. When the lover of lovers stands ready to ravish us, stands ready to love us unto death. Here's what the prophet Hosea says. Look with me when he says this. He says, Rejoice not, O Israel. Exalt not like the peoples. Here it is. For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. But what's so amazing is that the story of God's grace is that He actually goes after His whoring wife. Why? Because He is so crazy about her. His love for her is amazing. He never forgets His love for her. He cannot take... His love for her never departs, as we sang about last week. Listen to what Hosea also says earlier in his writings. He says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. God woos his his bride back to himself because he so incredibly loves her. That's the picture that the Bible holds out that is behind what we see in marriage. Let me drive this home a little bit. First of all, this is telling us that marriage, therefore, marriage isn't the final point of all of life. It isn't the great end that all of us are to be headed to. And this is an incredible encouragement to you if you want to be married and you're not, if you once were married and now you're not, or if you're actually in marriage and you don't want to be Because what this says is, is that the marriage, no matter what it is, is not the final picture. Marriage isn't the highest good for the Christian. Jesus is. His love for us is. Jesus' love for the church far exceeds any love that one man and one woman share together. But this also cautions us in this way. Are you ready? This means that you will have a tendency, whenever you are married and when you date that you will be tempted to make the other person Jesus for you. What do I mean? You will be tempted to make another person an idol in your life. You see, you will be tempted to look at somebody else and say, you are the thing that is going to bring about my significance and my meaning in life. And I just want to say, if you do that, you will crush the relationship. Why? Because no person... No person can bear the weight of that. Can you bear the weight of somebody looking at you and say, you be my God? Can you do that? Of course not. Nobody can. And so it really is a protective measure to be able to say, I can't make you the supreme thing in my life. So hear me say this. Ready? When you are married, you actually love your spouse more by loving them less. What do I mean? I mean this, that you are loving your spouse more when you love Jesus more than them. When you look to Him to find your meaning, when you look to Him to find your significance and not your spouse, that is an incredible thing. Well, perhaps now you're convinced that I've just made marriage a cold, empty institution that nobody would possibly want. Why would anyone want to be a part of this? Well, I think there's some incredible news to come. Uh, Let's take a look then and see 
why marriage is so incredibly powerful. You see, marriage has this built-in capacity to do something amazing, y'all, for us and in us. Let's take a look then, lastly, at the power of marriage. If you look at verses 26 to 27, you'll see the reason that Jesus gave Himself up for the church. Why did He die? Here is the answer. Ready? That He might sanctify her, that is, you and me. You see, the the Bible talks about the church in the feminine uh, gender, but it refers to all uh, of His people. So He's saying, that He might sanctify her so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. So He's giving Himself up for her to present her to Himself one day and without spot or wrinkle or any such blemish. The whole reason Jesus died for the church was that He might cleanse her, that He might sanctify her. And that is what is behind this idea of, um, of sanctification, of being made more and more like Jesus. Marriage is unique in that marriage, God uses, God actually uses the spouse, all of the love, all of the care, all of the fights, all of the joys, all of the struggles. Are you ready for this? To make you more like Him. And that is an incredibly good, good, powerful thing. Here's why. Because listen to me. This means that you really are not stuck to be the same way that you are today. It is a good thing to know that in the midst of the heart of Christianity is a doctrine of change, y'all. This means that you will not always be like you think that you are right now. It means that God really is at work shaping you, changing you, knocking off the bad edges, making you more like Jesus. You see, most of us tend to think of marriage like this. We think of marriage as an arrival. I'm about to arrive at this spiritual place so that I'm good enough to get married. And if the metaphor is one of a sculpture, we think, ching, 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 knock off all the blinks, and here's this perfect David-esque statue that looks perfect, and now I'm ready to get married. And that's not what the Bible is getting at. To use the same metaphor, it's like this. It's like God has got this massive block of marble in front of Him, and He starts. He just begins knocking away. And what you begin to see is a hand emerge from that block of marble. The most beautiful hand you've ever seen with the most exquisite detail and lines in it. It looks almost real. And then he moves down and he begins to chisel away and you begin to see a cheekbone emerge. The most beautiful cheekbone that you've ever seen. And what it means to be married, therefore, is this. That to be married is actually to say, is to look at somebody and say, that block represents my potential spouse. And I want to be along for the ride as Jesus makes them beautiful. And I want them to be along the ride for what He's going to do in my life. I want a front row seat and see what He is doing in their life. You see, what this means, therefore, is that you are going to marry a sinner. Period. You're going to marry a sinner and not complete work. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to end up getting to do life together with them. And God is going to use you in their life to make them more like Jesus. And He's going to use them in your life to make you more like Him. And that is an incredibly beautiful thing. But it's incredibly powerful too. Because in marriage, therefore, you see the power to actually reprogram somebody. And that is profound. 
It's like rewiring the hard wire of the heart. To use another metaphor, it's like overturning verdicts in their lives. You see, Tim Keller points out this. He says, you're married, and when you're married, if you go out into the world and the world calls you ugly, but your spouse looks at you and says, I don't care what the world says. You're beautiful to me. You begin to move out back into the world with a sense of confidence because that's the sort of power that the voice of your spouse has. But the opposite is true too. You see, if you move out into the world and the world is saying to you, you're beautiful, but your spouse says, you're ugly, you'll move out in the world thinking you're ugly. That's the real profound power that marriage has. I think this helps us too, and this is where we're going to kind of begin to come around the home is, is that this means this dispels, y'all, this myth that is so prominent in our thinking, that of finding, quote, the one. I just need to find the one. Oh, I think she's the one. I think he's the one. And Jesus just sort of kindly laughs at that. He says, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because there's no way for you to know who the one is anyways. You see, what if it really is the idea of the one? Do you know you might actually be missing him or her right now? I mean, they may be, they may be downstairs and you're up here. You've just missed your spouse. Isn't that terrible? You missed the one. You see, it doesn't work like that. Because, you see, it might make great chick flicks. If you've ever seen Serendipity, one of my favorites, secretly. Let's take that away from the tape. Um, But it's not real life. Because don't you see that God is so incredibly sovereign in your life that He is the one moving. He is the one shaping. He is the one directing all of your steps, all of your paths. He is the one that knows exactly who you are to marry. And you don't. And there's no way to know who you are to marry until you actually get married. So who's the person you're supposed to marry? You don't know till you say, I do. That's how it works. And then once you've said, I do, you can move out in incredible confidence saying, that's the one I was supposed to marry. That's how it works. Mind-blowing, I know. But listen to one author, what he says. Ready? This is a longer quote. Stanley Hauerwas, a professor at Duke. I love this. He says this. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. Well, this moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact, ready, that we always marry the wrong person. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we're not the same person after we've entered into it. The primary challenge of marriage, therefore, is learning how to love and to care. I love this. For the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Why is this so? Because marriage itself changes us. And this means, therefore, marriage is an institution that will change you. It will shape you to be more like Jesus. This leads Lewis Smedes to say this. This is gold. I think it's hilarious. He says, when I, get mar- when I married my wife, I had hardly a smidgen of sense for what I was getting into with her. How could I know how much she would change over 25 years? How could I know how much I would change? My wife has lived with at least five different men since we were, we were wed. And each of the five have been me. 
Why can he say that? Because he's changed. And so will you in marriage. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible is saying about marriage itself. Well, as soon as you hear me say this, you begin to say, uh, wow, Ryan, uh, you're getting really long. Land the plane. I'm about to. But I just want you to see this. That there is no way that you can do any of this. There is no way that you can do any of this by yourself. And where do we get the power, therefore? Where do we get the power, therefore, to do marriage? Here is where it is. I want you to see that Jesus Himself has bled and died. He has given Himself up for a bride. And that means that His death was to secure you. And when you begin to see that His death and His love and His commitment to you is that intense and that fierce and that powerful, it gives you and me the power to be able to do any relationship, certainly marriage, with a sense of confidence and courage. I'll share this and then we're done. I got a phone call several years ago from my buddy. There was tears in his eyes. Well, there was tears in his eyes. His voice was quivering, and he said, "Ryan, Ryan, I'm crushed." He says, "I feel betrayed, and my marriage is over. And this is because my wife has committed adultery. Um, I wasn't her first love, and she fell into the arms of another man." And then he went on to say this, but if you look at what she did, it pales in comparison to how I've crushed God's heart, to how many times I've betrayed Him, to how many times I've given Him the opportunity to end my marriage with Him. And yet, God has remained in the face of all of my sin. Therefore, if God didn't get rid of me, how could I possibly get rid of my wife? I'm choosing to stay with her and I trust that God has the power to rebuild what is dead. After all, He is the God who makes all things new. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this wonderful picture of marriage. Would You take these things and press them deep into our heart and may we now sing of Your great love for us. Thank You, Lord, for loving us in Jesus. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.